Today, from the global lane, standing in the way of a nuclear deal, Iran's arming of Russia in Ukraine and the regime's violent response to protesters. This is a case of Europe and the United States finally realizing that the emperor has no clothes. All for profits. American companies ignore the struggle for freedom, caving to the demands of the Chinese Communist Party. When there were protests over zero COVID, only in China was there uh, this peer-to-peer -peer function on iPhones not available to iPhone users. It was only in China the rest of the world had access to it. A return to mandatory masking of children in New Jersey and Philadelphia schools. And a divided America unites in prayer when tragedy strikes on the football field. It didn't matter what uniform they had on, you saw fans. It didn't matter what team they were cheering for. Seek God to intervene. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. The Iranian government says it's ready to wrap up a new nuclear deal. But can an agreement be reached? Should an agreement be reached? Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov warns of dangerous consequences if negotiations fail. He predicts without an accord, Middle East nations are at risk of engaging in an irreversible arms race. Well, joining us with more is Middle East Forum Director Greg Roman. So, Greg, what's the hang-up at this time? What's preventing the U.S., Europe, and Iran from reaching a new joint comprehensive plan of action? I think that this is a case of Europe and the United States finally realizing that the emperor has no clothes in Iran, especially since the Russians are now relying upon Iranian exports of drones and missile technology to hit at the joint European-funded front in Ukraine, and also realizing that they have no intention of helping the Iranians get a diplomatic or any policy win so long as their own people are calling for the overthrow of their government. The reason why I think the Russians are doubling down now is because they need a new front to try to engage Europe and the United States on, as Ukraine is not going very well for them. And they also owe their Iranian allies a little bit of a payback for what Iran has done to help the Russians try to bolster their forces in Ukraine. So if Russia and Iran are able to get back to the table, the Americans and Europeans realize that it's a loss for Europe and America if they are to acquiesce to what Iran is doing right now with Russia and Europe. Yeah, this this seems like a new equation here because I remember George Bush used to refer, refer to it as the axis of evil, including Iran, North Korea, and so forth. Now you've got Russia in there with Iran. What are the uh, implications of that? Well, look at Russia's involvement with Iran's nuclear program, first and foremost. They've funded the building of Boucher, Iran's first nuclear reactor, They've also sent Russian technology to help with some of Iran's other nuclear uranium enrichment and other centrifuge technologies. And now it's in Russia's interest to try to keep Iran close and to help them with whatever their policy needs are, because Russia's been shut off by most of the world, including even China to a certain extent, with their ability to import technology from Beijing. So Russia wants to give Iran a pass as it relates to their nuclear technology. And they're trying to ra rattle the saber of Iranian arms munitions production, which will threaten other Middle Eastern countries, even though it's Russia who's paying for Iran to be able to manufacture drones and missiles, which right now are being used against Ukraine, but could ostensibly used against Israel, Turkey, and other American Gulf allies tomorrow. So Russia's playing a double game. I think America and Europe have realized this, and they're not going to move the line towards a nuclear deal so long as Iran continues its belligerent behavior in the Middle East 
and continues to support Russia's offensive war against Ukraine. I'm sure many of those, even in Israel, who favor a new agreement say Israel would benefit because the development of the Iranian nuclear program would be slowed, monitored by the UN. What do you say? I think Iran's most dramatic gains in its nuclear program were when it was a signatory to the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. Its ability to increase the building of infrastructure in areas like Isfahan and Shiraz, where there's uranium enrichment taking place, its ability to build its nuclear program in terms of the military capability, which was revealed by the Mossad in a daring raid where the Israeli intelligence agency was able to steal Iran's entire nuclear archive, demonstrably showing that progress on its military aspects did not stop when it signed its deal. So there may be those in favor of slowing down the Iranian nuclear project, but the offset to that is an increase in Iran's ability to, number one, first and foremost, wage war against its own citizens by having more monies come in that it can use to militarize populations that still support the regime. And number two, outside of Iran's borders, we saw an uptick in Iranian attacks against American allies in Iraq, its funding of Hezbollah in Lebanon, and its ability to bolster the Assad regime in Syria. So I think that you can have both a slowdown in the Iran nuclear project and the ability to stop funding Iranian terrorism by getting tougher with Iran and making sure that there's more demonstrable consequences leading up into a military strike against its nuclear facilities by pursuing other policy options. Well, like supporting the revolution yeah. or by clamping down with more economic sanctions against Tehran. Do you think we're seeing the beginning of the end of the Islamic regime or is greater oppression coming? I think you have the nucleus of what could be the beginning of the end of the Islamic regime in Iran. But it will be for naught if the protesters are not able to coalesce around common leadership. The one missing ingredient right now in these 90 to 120 days of protest, depending on where you have your starting point, is, is that there is no true leadership which is exhibited them standing up to be the face of this revolution. And you can't have a faceless revolution because eventually it'll allow the current political elements to manipulate perhaps the overthrow of the Ayatollah, but with the replacement of someone who will continue their draconian policies towards their citizens, which is how they got here in the first place. Well, on to Israel, it may not be smooth sailing for the newly formed government there. What's the biggest challenge facing Bibi Netanyahu at this time? Well, there's two. The first is between the core members and backbenchers of his Likud party, who I would call your traditional conservative lowercase liberals. I think you also have the second challenge, which is between Netanyahu and Jewish diaspora communities around the world, who in a joint letter from the Jewish agency, the World Zionist Organization, and other diaspora representative bodies called for Israel to maintain its pluralistic characters and its Zionist upbringing. And then on the other hand, you had, as a result of this letter, the leader of one of the opposition parties in the Knesset say that this was the end of Zionism in the Knesset as it was known because of Bibi's new government. I think it's a lot of semantics. I think it's a lot of polemics. But I think at the end of the day, Netanyahu is going to have to walk a fine line between his own party and the Jewish diaspora and then to meet the needs of his coalition partners in order to keep a stable government. Well, it's quite a balancing act for him, isn't it? Greg Roman, Middle East Forum Director, thank you for sharing your time and insights. We appreciate it, Greg. Thank you. The clock may be running out on TikTok. The popular social media app is now banned for use on U.S. government devices. National security concerns are the reason, but what about the risk China poses to America's economic vitality? Of greater concern may be U.S. corporate dependency on the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP. 
We'll hear with more is Paul Chesser. He's director of the Corporate Integrity Project at the National Legal and Policy Center. Paul, thank you for being with us. So TikTok may pose a security threat, but which U.S. companies are at risk simply for doing business in the world's largest labor and consumer market and why? The big one right now is Apple uh, because Apple's been in, in the news recently because they they just put so much uh, of their production into uh, for their mainly for their iPhones into the, these massive Chinese iPhone uh, factories uh, uh, managed by Foxconn. And uh, with China's recent zero COVID policies, uh, that really caused a lot of problems. They, they shut down production in these factories for a period of time, locked people down. Uh, and and in, in something you haven't seen in a long time, there were there was resistance in China. There were protests at these factories, and it, and it really uh, hamstrung Apple's production, especially going into the holiday season for for a lot of their most popular iPhones. So that's one company we're focused on. There's a lot of companies uh, that just want access to that market. We're looking at Disney. We're looking at Starbucks, McDonald's, Walmart, and and they're across the spectrum as far as what types of companies they are. Merck, uh, you know, a pharmaceutical company that has a lot of R&D over there. Um, Boeing, which, you know, they produce more than half of, Bo of uh, China's fleet uh, for their commercial airlines. So it's just an, an enormous amount of dependence from American corporations uh, on access to the China market and also the, their supply chain. How about Microsoft? Microsoft as well, uh, they're not in our cycle right now, so I haven't looked at scrutinized them as much. But anybody who's producing communications devices and those kinds of things uh, is going to have their supply chain go through China. And if it's not through mainland China, which, you know, it is, China is constructing this Belt and Road Initiative in which they are pursuing dominance around the globe uh, in production of uh, they're they're trying to set up countries that are maybe third world countries that, to become more dependent on China and also to dominate the supply chain, not just on the mainland and China as far as assembly and things like that for products, but for access to uh, to uh, precious metals, to rare earth metals that are really crucial to the production of these devices, electric vehicles, those require cobalt, uh, nickel, uh, uh, lithium. So all these, you know, China is looking to dominate the mines and the production of and, and supply of these metals so that, you know, they they will be dominant in the in, in those economic areas. And, and, and America is not ready for it. Well, and, and that, that's a, that's affecting U.S. policy, I'm sure. But Turkish NBA star Cantor Freedom is critical of China's human rights record in Tibet and with the Uyghur ethnics. Now, he wears slogans critical of Nike for using Chinese slave labor, and he says the communist dictatorship runs the NBA. So your thoughts on how corporate dependency on China and profits endanger democratic principles like free speech and human rights. Right. Well, with the Uyghurs issue as well, Apple's been implicated there with uh, some some in recent years with the productions of the screens. There's a company that they said was being uh, produced uh, by uh, a company, company, a supplier called O-Film, 
that they tied to the Uyghurs' uh, slave labor in uh, the factories in that part of, of China. Our American corporations have to start thinking much differently than they did. And, you know, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, has been warned about this for years, and he was just so laser-focused on producing it, uh, uh, the, their products in China that, uh, you know, he was just, he, he, he pandered to the Chinese government. He, he, uh, he implicated their censorship practices. Uh, when they said, remove apps from your app store, they, he did it. Uh, and most recently, when there were protests over zero COVID, he removed, only in China was there uh, this peer-to-peer -peer function on iPhones not available to iPhone users. It was only in China the rest of the world had access to it, and that was because of the communist government. So uh, Tim Cook is learning now the hard way. He, he ignored warnings uh, in recent years over being overly dependent on China. Now, because of what happened with this iPhone production over the holiday season, he's scrambling to diversify su the supply chain into India and Vietnam and other places. Yeah, when your profits go down, uh, then you look elsewhere, right? Uh, we'll see what Congress, the new Congress, does. Paul Chesser of the National Legal and Policy Center, thank you for sharing your insights. We appreciate it. Thanks. Good to be with you. Last September, President Biden told us the COVID the pandemic, pandemic was over. over. So many Americans probably did not expect school districts to return to imposing mask mandates on students. It's happening right now in New Jersey in the Patterson and Camden school districts. About 32,000 students are affected there. And students in Philadelphia are required to wear masks until mid-January. School officials say they're reimposing the ban because of a sudden surge of post-holiday COVID and flu cases. Well, here to set us straight on this from Houston is Dr. Stella Emanuel. Dr. Emanuel is a Cameroonian-American pediatrician who treated COVID patients with hydroxychloroquine in the early days of the COVID pandemic. And she's author of the book, Let America Live, exposing the hidden agenda behind the 2020 pandemic. And she's founder of Firepower Ministries. Dr. Stella, it's a pleasure to have you with us. So what do you think of this return to mandatory masking in Philly and New Jersey? Uh, masks don't work. Um, the, the size of COVID cannot be filtered by the mask that we wear. Uh, using a mask to filter COVID is like using a chain link fence to filter a mosquito. I think they just want people to get back to being afraid. I've said from day one that COVID is completely treatable and COVID is completely preventable. Hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin still works. We've treated over 100 and something thousand patients, and I don't think there should be any reason for people to be scared. Right now, they are talking about triple-demic, where they are talking about COVID, flu, and RSV. RSV and flu have always been around, and COVID right now has added to it. I will advise everybody Build your immunity, vitamin C, D, zinc, and quercetin. Quercetin is a weak ion of four. It opens zinc channels. It allows zinc to go into the cells and kill the virus. You can actually find a study about zinc and, vi and viruses on the NIH website. You were banned from Twitter in July of 2020 because of your outspoken advocacy for treating COVID-19 with hydroxychloroquine. The FDA and JAMA still insists that hydroxychloroquine is not a successful cure for COVID. They say clinical trials show it's ineffective, but your thoughts on that? You found otherwise. They, they have over, we have about 300 studies worldwide that shows that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin works. The reason why they keep saying that, they always, they always have 
some, uh, you know, article that they're going to get somebody and pay them very well to do a study that said it don't work. That's not true. If you, Even on the NIH website itself, there are studies that show that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin works against coronaviruses. Has Elon Musk restored you to Twitter? No. No? I don't know why. Why not? I don't know. I guess um, I've appealed and he hasn't, so I, I don't know why. So maybe, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, after all the revelations on COVID and Fauci and so forth on Twitter, I thought he may have restored you. So we're waiting for that. So your book yes. is Let America Live, Exposing the Hidden Agenda Behind the 2020 Pandemic. Okay. Yes. In your opinion, briefly, what is the hidden yeah. agenda? Um, actually, COVID, the whole COVID pandemic was a Trojan horse for the vaccine. And the vaccine is a Trojan horse for transhumanism and human 2.0. I think we're in the book of Revelation in Revelation uh, 13. We're about to hit Revelation 13, I would say, where there's a lot of terror being ha happening on the earth. And uh, the whole thing is about controlling humanity. So the hidden agenda in this whole thing is about human control, transhumanism, population control. So it's out there, but people just have to go look. You, you know, just go on the World Economic Forum YouTube, YouTube channel or their website, and you will see a lot of this stuff. So as a yes. Christian minister, how have you mm -hmm. seen God at work in the COVID pandemic? And how should Christians respond as we move forward? The church has to, we need to ask for the Lord to give us strength, spiritual strength for such a time as this. We need to ask for the anointing so that we can be able to go out and do the work of the evangelist. Because it's the anointing that will take the veil off and let people see the light of the gospel. And we should not be afraid to preach and tell people about Jesus. Even if they don't listen to it right now, we're going to be sowing a seed. Most of all, be spiritually ready. We can no longer be living one foot in the world and one foot with the Lord. Make sure that you, your, your life is right with Jesus. Make sure you shine the light. The, the Lord said that we are his light. We are his salt on this earth. And we should go out and let that light shine. And if we ask him for the anointing, he will give it to us. The, the, the Jesus is coming soon. The Bible says when we see all this craziness happen, we should rejoice our redemption draws nigh. So do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Stand, be bold, be courageous. The Lord Jesus is with us. Amen. And throughout the Bible, fear not, fear not. Okay, from Houston, Texas, Dr. Stella Emanuel, thank you for sharing your perspective. We appreciate it. Thank you. God bless you. Congressional chaos. That's how the American media this week described the historic disagreement in the Republican Party over the selection of the next Speaker of the House. Folks, this is another example of how polarized our society has become. Liberals and conservatives, even moderates in both parties, seem unable to agree on much of anything other than spending more of your hard-earned tax dollars. What will it take to unify the country? How about an act of God and people joining together in prayer? Just like those NFL players from opposing teams, the Buffalo Bills and Cincinnati Bengals. They united in prayer after 24-year-old Bills safety, Damar Hamlin, collapsed after taking a hit in the Monday night game. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying God caused Hamlin to go into cardiac arrest. It may have been a hereditary heart issue. Some have speculated that the COVID vaccine may have been responsible. We just don't know. But what we do know is that God has used it for his purposes. The whole world witnessed the power of prayer as a medical team brought Hamlin back to life after his heart had stopped.
Here's former NFL player Benjamin Watson discussing the importance of prayer during hardship and tragedy. There's a reason why people go to prayer when things are out of their control. And whether it's a natural disaster or whether someone is deathly ill or whether we see a player fall uh, down and, and almost die on the field, we go to prayer because these things are out of our control, but we know who is in control. And no matter where you lie on the belief spectrum, uh, so many times when things are out of our control, we look to God to, to intervene, and that's what you saw happening. You saw men on both sides of the field, didn't matter what uniform they had on. You saw fans, it didn't matter what team they were cheering for, seek God to intervene and uh, intercede on behalf of DeMar because it's something that we couldn't control. I, I know personally uh, the chaplains on both of those teams. Uh, Lynn Vandenbosch is a great chaplain for the Buffalo Bills, and a former player named Vincent Ray uh, is over at the Cincinnati Bengals. And those two men led the prayer circles for their teams, but also many of the players you saw are great men of faith who uh, believe in the power of prayer and believe that God can raise people from the dead if he has to, but also believe that all things work together for the good for those who love him. Here's one example of how God works for good during tragedy. Hamlin established a charity to help provide toys for kids in his community. He set a goal of $2,500 for the Chasing M's Foundation effort. So far, after his on-field collapse, more than $6 million has been raised. Isn't that amazing? That amount will buy a lot of toys for needy kids. Our prayers are with Hamlin, who at the time of this broadcast remained in critical condition in a medically-induced coma at UC Medical Center. And let's pray for Hamlin's family and others around the country who suffer from sudden cardiac arrest. Few of us may be at risk of enduring a hard hit on a football field, but there are steps we can take to protect the health of our hearts, not only physically, but spiritually as well. Hamlin, who attended Pittsburgh Central Catholic High School, said this while playing college football at the University of Pittsburgh. My faith is in God. So whatever he has planned for me, that'll be it. Let's all pray that DeMar Hamlin awakens from that coma and returns to the football field. But let's also pray that God's will will be done in Hamlin's life and our own. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.